Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Cordex Digital Shipping Podcast. Today, we welcome Andreas Schmidt, General Manager of Technology Development at WinGD. Andreas, welcome. Hi, Leon. Happy to be here. We're very excited to have you, especially now that we've entered into this POC agreement with your team. We're looking forward to learning more about what you and your team do at WinGD and to see how we're going to be working together. Um, today's topic is going to be quite interesting, and I think it's quite relevant for a lot of our customers, both of our customers in the maritime space. We're going to be talking about what alternative fuels are available to customers, to ship owners and ship operators. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what your background is, and what you do at WinGD? Sure. Um, so as I said, Andreas Schmidt is my name. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. I worked as a spray and combustion research scientist uh, at Wärtsilä couple of years ago and uh, took over several positions and now I'm general manager of technology development and with this I'm responsible for different topics in the in the engine development so that starts from spray combustion um, the research here then one of my teams they look into tribology fuels and lubricants a third one they look into after treatment systems and then we have one team which actually develops hardware to have these new technologies on the engine then. Nice. And what kind of engines are you focusing on? Are there any specific models, any specific uh, end customers for these engines? So in the, in the two-stroke business, we look at all the engines. Okay. So usually my teams, they look at the mid-bore size, so that's uh, in a, the 52 engine. Uh, where we develop the technologies upon, and then from there we scale them up and down to the other uh, engine sizes. Excellent. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into some of the questions we have today. So the topic is, what are the alternative fuels available to customers today? Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the alternatives that you know of that are currently available to the maritime industry, what's available right now, but then also what's going to be available in maybe 10 years to come? What's on the horizon for people to plan for? Well, there is basically, um, today that there is not much which is in, in enough abundance uh, size or let's say volume to be consumed by ship engines. We have the classic fuels, um, and those we want to replace. So there is today basically LNG mm-hmm. as, a, as a first step, but we all know it's not going to be the, the final fuel. Um, we have then a lot of people look into biofuels. Um, there are different companies specialized on that, different sources, but also here the, the volumes they're trading, they're very small. Okay. And we need some upscaling there, but on the other hand, we there will not be enough biofuels around probably because they have to come from feedstock, uh, whatever. So this can be um, wasted of waste streams of the of the food industry, etc. Can be from uh, forestation, etc. But that's limited, so we cannot just go out there and and uh, cut down all the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other fuels they need to come from from an energy source. So. And then we're talking about these synthetic fuels like uh, ammonia, like methanol, and also you can say methane, synthetic methane. And basically, you can have any molecule made, made, but uh, you need more and more energy to make them then. Mm -hmm. So as per today, we have some very small amounts of methanol and ammonia available for shipping. But most of these fuels, they are still in their, let's say, original pathways. Uh, used up by the chemical industry or uh, by uh, farming, etc. 
So for the first type of fuels, the the biofuels, you said the issue is there's just not an, enough quantity for them to actually be a, an alternative for the for the maritime space. In terms of scale, how much would you estimate the industry would need to fully replace or to replace on a large scale? I mean, just so people kind of understand that they're that that is the issue. Well, I mean, we roughly need around 300 million tons of HFO or of, of fuel per year. Yes. And that's a lot of wood to cut down. And uh, I don't think uh, we can ever grow that much wood to have a sustainable fuel supply there. Wow. So all we can tap in is is some small, tiny, uh, not tiny. I mean, here we're talking about hundreds of thousands of tons per year. But these are small niche markets where if there is a ship which accidentally go, goes that route between two points which have that, that fuel, that they could switch, for example. But we will never be able to fuel the whole, the entire fleet with, uh, with those fuels. Wow. And for the second type of fuel that you mentioned, the synthetic fuels, um, again, are we running into a similar issue where there's just not enough quantity to, to scale them? Um, or is it more of an issue if there's not enough, they require so much energy to actually to make? This is a good point you say. So the energy to make them. And as per today, we have to find enough renewable resources, or so sorry, uh, renewable electricity to mm -hmm. make them actually. And as we don't have too much of this electricity available, we need to be very efficient. So we need to get most out of the electricity into that fuel of the chemical en uh, energy. And therefore, we are looking at fuels which are simple in 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 uh, in their um, say setup, so that. The chemical or the molecule is simple. That can be an NH3 or a CH4 or then a methanol where you have as many as as, as little as uh, possible molecule uh, atoms in there and you can put them together with enough energy. So here we're talking about conversion uh, efficiencies, maybe 60, maybe at some point 70% if, if the processes are very good. So whatever you get from the sun, um, 30 to 40 percent is lost and the wow. rest is in the fuel and then you have to convert that again in uh, in a process as efficient as possible into into propulsion energy and here we're, we're talking about 50 percent a bit more for the two-stroke engines mm -hmm. so what comes in from electricity um, the solar panels are roughly at 20 percent efficiency so what comes in from the sun we have 20% we can use. From these 20%, again, we can then use 70% to, to become to fuel maximum or at a, at a good level. And from these 70%, we cut a, half away in the, in the efficiency of the engine. So we must make sure we use this fuel as efficiently as possible. And as you see, we need huge amounts of, of renewable electricity. And the problem is we're not the only one uh, looking for this. So the shipping industry is is one, let's say, if, if you want to put it, it would be a country the size of Germany in the, in the energy consumption. Mm -hmm. And it's one of these countries who wants these these electric or these, these electrical renewable energies. Yes. So let's put it like this. In the next 10 to 20, maybe even 20, 30 years, we want to be as efficient as possible in the conversion steps. And after that, let's say we have abundant energy. We have uh, all 
uh, deserts covered with solar panels and all the wherever possible we have wind farms etc and basically energy is for free then you can think of any fuel then you can even go and make diesel out of that but here we're talking about efficiencies they are down to i don't know 20 percent or, or lower and if you have enough cheap energy that's not a problem but mm -hmm. as for now we need to be as efficient as possible and therefore we focus on this uh, on this ammonia and methanol uh, molecules which are easy to to make and then of course um everybody says hydrogen um that that's that's the, the cornerstones of this any fuel you make you will go through through, uh, through hydrogen yes well that's really eye-opening sounds like we have a lot of work we need to do actually <laughs> to get there <laughs> um so that's interesting to know what's available right now in the process to make it more efficient uh, to make these fuels more efficient but what do you see on the horizon in the next decade plus is it going to be really just focusing on the efficiencies of these fuels do you think there's other fuel types we've we've not explored yet what's your opinion on that um that's a good question if there are fuels we haven't explored yet uh, i would not know of them so basically sure the the shipping industry is is always trying is always looking for for the best fuel and so far it was the best fuel was HFO because it's, it was there it was a a waste stream of the petrochemical industry it was cheap and um, uh, we had to get rid of the stuff so basically shipping industry was taking over the waste incendiary uh, position of of the petrochemical industry so whatever they cannot use in in uh, chemical industries and in petrol or diesel for the cars or even oils, <clears throat> whatever is left goes down in the in the column and that's fed to the to the ships then. So the shipping industry has always been experimenting. So from what fuels they could to could tap in. And one example, for example, uh, here is, is the LNG also where uh, some pioneers said, okay, maybe there's another fuel, a cleaner fuel. Mm -hmm. um, and they went to LNG. And we see the same now with ammonia, which is I mean, a hundred years ago, when they really had nothing else uh, to burn, they were looking into ammonia. But uh, it, it's a terrible fuel. So it's uh, it's toxic. It's hard to store. It's uh, it's corrosive. So and it burns very very slowly. Um, so therefore, this is a, a a very exotic fuel, you could say. But it's a very for, for the shipping, where you have these these uh, large container, uh, sorry, large um, tanks, etc., and where you can make it somewhat um, efficient with the, with the size, it makes sense. Here, it's really something you say, okay, it's better to put in this this chemical storage rather than batteries because the batteries they, you just cannot afford them in 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 the sizes and energy contents we need. Okay, well, let's go ahead. Let's move on to understanding about how these fuels can help with greenhouse gas reductions. So one of the main pillars of our partnership is actually focusing on the CII rating and reporting for our customers. Can you tell us a little bit about how some of the fuels that you've mentioned can reduce greenhouse gas emissions or maybe which of these fuels are the best for ship owners to invest in, for them to invest in engines that take these types of fuels? What's going to have the greatest impact on reducing these emissions? Well, if the if a company goes with the noble goal to really cut down emissions just from a from a global and and uh, say a perspective to save humanity etc then you 
well, you can go either for ammonia or for methanol. So they're both great. I would say methanol is a bit the safer bet when it comes to, uh, to emissions, um, whereas ammonia is most probably the more energy efficient one. Um, what do you mean by that? You look at for methanol to be the, the safer bet. Well, um, with, with ammonia, what can happen if, you, if something goes wrong with, uh, with combustion, you can form uh, N2O, so nitrous oxide. And this has a global warming potential, which is about 285 times higher than, than CO2. So whatever you emit of that, it's much worse than if, if you run on, uh, on the CO2 emission. And um, of course, we on our side, we make everything which is uh, possible to, re to reduce this to an absolute minimum. And, and we see very good results in the, in the experiments we run and also in the simulations we do. So we, we think um, even with our engine sizes, we have this under control. Um, but let's say something goes wrong on the engine, there is a, a misalignment of something in the, during the service, etc. Or um, if, if there is a, another problem with the engine, something is not uh, as tight as it should be, and we have some uncontrolled entrance of ammonia into the combustion chamber, then we can quite easily, or uh, the formation of, of N2O is, is not, the possibility to have N2O in the combustion chamber is not zero anymore. And therefore, the emissions are there. And as for now, there is no technology yet on the market which can treat N2O, so which can uh, um, get rid of the N2O emissions. And therefore, this goes to the atmosphere. And with this high global warming potential, you basically make things worse than if you would run on, on, on uh, any classic fuels. Wow. But therefore, I say, there is, there is things which can go wrong, and this is on our desk to make sure that the engine works properly and um, uh, we don't produce these, uh, these greenhouse gas emissions. Um, I think we here we're on a very good track we, that, uh, to fulfill this. But we also must make sure with our service partners, with the crews on board, with the uh, ship operators, with the ship owners, etc., that this stays like this over 20, 25, 30 years, as long as the engines are in service. Mm -hmm. And um, to make sure we can, uh, we can maintain this high quality of, of the product. Excellent. It's been very interesting to speak to you today, Andreas. Last question I have is, I want to know your opinion on well-to-wake. This is a very popular topic right now, especially in places like Singapore, when you're looking at hybrid engines and companies and operators really want to understand what is the overall emissions from when they get the fuel, they're charging these batteries whilst in port and uh, using them on board the ships. So what is your opinion on well-to-wake as a way to get to zero CO2? Is it even a possibility? What is the outcome of this? Well, that's a, a brilliant question, Leo. And... Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a bit a tricky one. So you can have the scientific answer, or you can have the let's say a more straightforward answer. And let's let's the do the straightforward, straightforward one. <laughs> the straightforward answer to start with. That's um, so. Welt wake is the only measure we have to clearly indicate whether the fuel is sustainable or not. So you have to really look at taking the fuel out of the well, or basically then out of the of the uh, production site bring it to the ship, um, fuel the ship, and look at the emissions, look what comes out of the propeller. And only if you look at this whole, let's call it value chain, 
um, you're able to judge whether the fuel is good. Um, we know some of these are better and some of these are not as good. And some have the potential to really go south if people don't do their job. So, for example, um, if you look um, at, at ammonia and uh, you have some renewable electricity, you make uh, hydrogen, out of the hydrogen you make then the, the ammonia, you ship it and ammonia has disadvantage as soon as you have a leakage people will realize because it smells awful and, and our nose they're trying to indicate very um very fast that something's wrong so, so you will smell it and you will fix it probably mm -hmm. um and then it comes to the ship you burn it and off you go and the only problem you can make is in the end where you have some formation of uh, of n2o as i said before that's a, a very potent greenhouse gas and the other <clears throat> let's say if there's a bit of ammonia going out i mean of course it's not good it's not healthy for it's toxic but on the climate point of view this is something which is not um is not making things worse um okay. apart from other secondary chemical operations but so we have it under control and when you look at uh, methane, for example, so LNG, taking it out of the well, you have a little bit of, of uh, yeah, boil off, whatever, transporting it, some uh, mistakes can happen. And it's, di it's difficult to get to a super tight system, which does not leave any molecule out. So you always have a bit of leakage. And the problem with CH4, it's also a potent greenhouse gas, so 25 times higher than CO2. And you have to record this. I mean, of course, if you say my CO2 um, equivalent on the engine is is only 80% uh, or 75% that of, of, uh, of diesel because you have less C8 uh, atoms in the molecule, um, you can have a similar efficiency in the combustion. Um, so what I'm looking at, my CO2 emissions, they are, let's say, 0.8 times X from from whatever i have from marine fuel mm -hmm. but you have to look at what happened before and if this comes from a source um which is has old infrastructure and they have leakages everywhere you may you maybe produce much more of uh, of co2 equivalent all the way down before you're even entering the engine yeah and this is what we need to look at and this is what every ship owner has to look at he needs to know where his fuel comes from um what happened with it and um, how efficiently is it burned and later and, and what are the emissions? And we have to look at the whole value chain in order to judge which fuel is the best. And the one is right now, we don't know which fuel is going to make it. Mm -hmm. We don't see, eventually we don't have an opinion that there is one fuel going to replace every, every, everything else. It depends on what ship type you have, what routes you take, um, how much you can actually afford into the new fuels. Um, how experienced your crews are, et cetera, et cetera. And depending on that, you will have um, a better option maybe with ammonia, a better option with methanol, maybe it's even a synthetic um, methane. It's, it depends. And, and someday, maybe that's the dream of everybody to have then the hydrogen as, uh, as the fuel. But I, my personal opinion, that's a couple of decades down the road because we still don't know how to store it. I said that there are a couple of problems there. Um, it will be a great fuel and it will come, but uh, it takes some time.
So going off of that, is hydrogen a good dream to have? Is it a good North Star for companies and, and R&D departments to, to follow? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is if, if we get this under control, this is the most efficient fuel we have. So it's um, easy to, to make and then also to turn it back into energy. So as a storage, it would be good. But uh, let's say as an energy storage is fantastic. And I think mm -hmm. we should aim for that. I, f I fully believe we should go that route and, and really try our best to get that fuel into, into all streams. Because then we have one fuel for everything and, and it simplifies a lot. But as I said, we have still a lot of, of challenges ahead. Mm -hmm. And there are some very good examples and we are on a good way here. But it needs some, some more time and um, a lot of brain power to, to get it really where, where it should be. Well, we're lucky to have you. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm focusing on, on uh, ammonia, methanol, biofuels and the other. So I leave the hydrogen hydrogen to the really smart people well like you said we have to have multiple alternatives so anyway andreas it's been very nice to speak with you today and to learn about what you do at WinGD, how your team how you and your team are, are helping the maritime industry find alternatives to face this whole decarbonization topic as at the forefront of everything we're doing we're very excited to work closely with you and your team uh, in the months and years to come and we look forward to having you back on our podcast in the future Thank you very much. It was great being here and I'm also looking forward for the next one. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.